0: Can all of the interests that make up a crowded urban environment ever agree on a plan for streamlining the delivery of goods? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, editor in chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. We think of cities as places where various interest groups, pedestrians, cars, bikes, public transit, businesses, and more are engaged in a constant tussle over access to streets and the best way to reduce urban congestion. But there might be hope for a consensus. The Urban Freight Lab, housed at the Supply Chain, Transportation, and Logistics Center at the University of Washington in Seattle, is an ambitious public-private research partnership that seeks to solve seemingly intractable urban freight management problems. Today on the show, I'm speaking with Anne Goodchild, professor of civil and environmental engineering at UW and founder of the Urban Freight Lab. She'll tell us about the history of the initiative, who is involved, and what it hopes to achieve. Can it produce something more than another bunch of reports that end up on a shelf? She's optimistic. Here's my conversation with Anne Goodchild. Dr. Anne Goodchild, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks very much for being with me to tell me a little bit about the Urban Freight Lab. Can you tell me the story of the formation, the inspiration, when it was formed, and what you set out to do from the very start?
1: I have been carrying out research in the freight space for almost 20 years now. And from the start, it was really important to me to do work that was useful, that was actually addressing problems that industry was experiencing, things that we produced from our research were going to be useful, were going to be impactful. And I, starting out sort of my career as a researcher, would often kind of on a project by project basis find some relationship to collaborate along and share data and get inspiration from partners. But that's a pretty cumbersome way to go about doing research and you find yourself with each individual project sort of having to create a relationship, build trust, learn and understand. And I just felt for the first probably five or so years of leading research that that was not ideal and not resulting in the same quality or volume of of work that that we had the capability to achieve. Mm -hmm. So I started looking around for other models and, and thinking it wasn't just about the specific topics that we selected. It was how we went about doing research and how we built trust and collaboration, largely with the, the private sector. The In the research world, I think there's more existing mechanisms to collaborate with the public sector. And so then I really started thinking about ways to innovate that, ways to pay for that, ways to build the infrastructure of research in a way that was going to enable really high quality, kind of high outcome stuff. And so I, I came up with the idea for the Urban Freight Lab. Uh, that's a truly collaborative work group. The ideas are not mine. They're not ours as as the researchers. The, the ideas for what we study and how we approach them collectively come from that group of private sector members, but then also public sector partners and us as researchers, because I saw that as a way to work on the right things and to have the right people in the room to do that work. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of where we wanted to go, and and then thinking about what staff we needed, what pace of meetings, where the meetings would take place, how we would build a contractual relationship with those members, what people were willing to pay, all of those kind of logistics and and implementation details, which we continued. That's the idea. That was our ambition. That was why we, we wanted to start the lab.
0: And when was it?
1: Well, so we finally launched the lab five years ago, but I think there was a period of probably, I don't know, a few years before that where I really started deciding that we were going to go for it and that we were going to build something and exploring kind of with the relationships I did have. There was interest in that on the private sector side and what business model we could use to operate the lab.
0: Had you already made transportation and freight a specialty within your own yeah. research and discipline? Yeah,
1: and uh-huh. Yeah, and I did that really from when I started in graduate school, which was in the early 2000s. And that was unusual. Freight in general has become much more visible, and there's been much more interest in it across the board in terms of venture capital and tech firms, but also public policy and research. But mm-hmm. when I started in freight, it was relatively uncommon. There were sort of more pockets of marine freight analysis or, or port operations, but the idea of, of freight as a system was, was very young. And I remember getting some pushback from my advisor. He said, Ann, do you really want to be the port lady? <laughs> and I said, yeah, actually, I do want to be the port lady. So, yeah, I, I started ahead of your time
0: out. in that respect, for sure. I was.
1: I, was. Yeah. I think some of that's fortunate, but it's good to be ahead of the curve because by the time everyone else has figured out that something's a good idea,
0: yeah, it's Largely too late. Everybody's yep. in on it. Well, yep. did you? Were there any prior initiatives or anything like this on which you modeled the Urban Freight Lab? Or did you just kind of make this up the whole way it worked and your whole concept mm-hmm. of it just came out of nowhere? I mean, what were you mm-hmm. basing it on, if anything? There were two
1: other research kind of centers or programs that I was familiar with that gave me inspiration That's the Center for Transportation Logistics at MIT, and also Metrans, which is based at USC and Long Beach. And that was really what reinforced for me the idea that you need infrastructure. You can't just be an individual person kind of pursuing individual projects. You need ways to engage over the long term in order to build trust and build relationships. And I saw that both of those centers had that. And they were producing really good research that I I wanted to do as well. But they're a little different. The group in Long Beach has much had and had much more emphasis on ports and maritime freight. I mean, in part because of their location and also topically emphasized planning more. But they were very involved with, with the city of Long Beach. And I think to this day sort of lead some of their town hall meetings. And that was something that close collaboration really inspired me. And I could see how that was allowing them to do really impactful work. And then also at MIT, they had, again, it's a little different, but they had these long-term relationships with the private sector and financial support from the private sector that I could see allowed them to understand the problems in that space in a way that you just can't without those relationships. And so both of those groups really inspired me and made me think about the approach you take to the work, not just Mm -hmm. the topics themselves, but who you engage and how you
0: engage them. What kind of support and participation did you get from the private sector?
1: I had developed a number of good relationships, you know, individual relationships with people. There are sufficient or plenty of individuals and individual companies who want to work with you, the University of Washington and, and more broadly, immense kind of intellectual resources and an interest in applying those for social good that, is an opportunity to benefit us all. But it's not always easy to access them. There's different cultures and different ways of speaking and different timelines. And so if you can build a relationship with people who sort of are patient and, and want to understand how that could work, I've never not been able to find People who want to do that. And so I'd had good relationships with many trucking, airlines, marine terminal operators across the board in many sectors. It just takes time to share with people and understand their needs. And so there had never really been a shortage of interest. It was just building enough of an infrastructure to scale that and to really let that grow beyond kind of individual projects. I think asking private companies, to pay a membership fee to join a research group is not something most private companies do. And so at the beginning, also just explaining like, well, what would that look like? We often get questions like, what do we obliged to share? And what if we don't want to share something? How does that work? It's a product. Our membership in our lab is something that isn't a line item for most private companies. And so there's still a lot of education and and information sharing at the beginning when we get to the point of talking with someone about joining. And some work that some of our members have to do within their own organization to say, look, I really think this is valuable and and this is why. But for our returning members, that gets easier.
0: So as opposed to soliciting, say, one-time grants or one-time contributions from the private sector and the Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. this is a membership type of, this is a continuing participation in terms of financing? Yeah. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah. So they're one-year membership, so someone can choose to renew or not every year, but most of our the vast majority of our members do renew. So we set our work plan also on that annual basis and review our goals as a group. What are the targets? What do we, when we say we want to improve urban freight you know, collectively as a group, what does that mean? What are our priorities? What do we want to focus on for the next year? And then what kind of research we do together And so search usually involves some data collection or some data sharing, a research question. And then as researchers, we do that analysis with the data or with some kind of model or interpretation of data. And then we bring that back to the group and discuss what that might mean for them and their work. And if there's public policy angles or there's infrastructure angles, how we can use that information Mm -hmm. to improve the urban freight system.
0: So you speak of improving urban freight. I guess maybe that would be Mm -hmm. the shortest way to describe the mission of the Urban Freight Lab. You also Mm -hmm. talk about the need for social good. What form Mm -hmm. do you think that you want that to take in the forms of influencing public policy, legislation, regulation, private industry behavior? I mean, what's the output that you hope comes of your efforts?
1: I would say in short sort of yes. All those things. It depends a little bit on the problem. And sometimes what we're doing is trying to understand what's necessary to make progress with that problem. Some of our members produce or operate cargo cycles. And so that's an area where there is definitely a need to develop public policy. There's very little existing public policy around how to regulate or manage cargo bikes in the street space there's a lack of understanding. So we've had to collect data and do some pilots and look at behavior on the street. So then we bring that back to the group. And then as a group, we've talked about well, what is necessary and what's missing. And so we've pursued that with some public policy angles. But there's also what we learned is that there's some infrastructure challenges that are limiting adoption. And so we also can go back to departments of transportation and talk about standards for infrastructure design that will allow the adoption of this. So in that case, there's some public policy and some infrastructure and our members, we did a pilot last summer where we were with our partners doing some delivery by cargo bike. They're also learning for themselves about the economic models, the operational models, the workforce development challenges, it's whatever it takes. And depending on the focus that we've had, what do we discover about what is getting in the way? What are the challenges and Mm -hmm. sharing that broadly? And we might not carry all of those things forward, but we share that with any interested party who might be working Mm -hmm. in that space.
0: What, in your opinion, what would you say is the single biggest challenge that you have learned about in your work with regard to the whole urban environment and its attitude toward freight and transportation? The
1: biggest challenge is that the urban space has a huge diversity of users and a very wide range of objectives. If you're thinking about a, a warehouse that is run by a single company, There's a lot of clarity of objectives. There's a lot of authority to choose how to operate. There's some decision-making hierarchy and clarity. There's organizational priorities and objectives that make decision-making and implementation and measurement more straightforward. The most difficult space in logistics is this urban space because you're in a space that's entirely uncontrolled, that's to a very large extent sort of unmeasured and uncensored. And every day is a different experience. Imagine you're trying to make money delivering things. You have no control over where you're allowed to park, when you're allowed to park, who else is on the street that day, what else they're doing. Just that complexity makes it a very difficult space to operate as a carrier or as any kind of logistics provider. And the city has a range of priorities, and those might be different Even in different blocks, cities trying to encourage economic activity, but they're also trying to keep people space and they're also trying to address climate change. And so even within the decision making within that organization, there's difficult choices to make. So it's very big. It's very messy. There's not a hierarchy for how to resolve some of those decisions. And so we Mm -hmm. try to work away at pieces of that problem and provide a space for communication and information sharing, which hasn't historically existed
0: there are so many competing interests in urban environments these days when yeah. it comes to access and transportation there is of course freight versus passenger versus public transit versus scooters versus bikes and especially cyclists attempting to close off all these roads and keep cars out of cities i just can't imagine how you dive into this head first and and what do you do i mean you you can't take sides, really? I mean, you just sort Mm -hmm. of try to coordinate, listen to everybody. I mean, what Mm -hmm. is your role when everyone is at each other's throats, each one asserting their own rights, so to speak, in terms of transportation in urban environments?
1: Yeah, well, we try to, I've never gotten to the point where people were at each other's throats, so that's good. I
0: I meant that metaphorically. I know. but, know. uh,
1: (laughs) But I would say, actually, that there is a lot of interest. I think characterizing it as necessarily one that's adversarial is not one that we've experienced. I think we've put a lot of energy into creating an environment of opportunity and progress as opposed to maybe focusing on spending too much time talking about the existing problems looking toward solutions that are going to be mutually beneficial. So I think there is a lot of room for improvements that are going to provide benefit for the public sector and benefit for the private sector and that's where we try to go. In a space that was more optimized or had been worked on, it had people trying to work on this for a longer period of time that might become harder. But right now there's a lot of low hanging fruit and there's a lot of opportunity. If we can just collect data, correct some misunderstandings that are often based on anecdote, we can actually find a lot of ways to meet the needs of a broad group of stakeholders. One of the ways we've we've tried to address that is by clearly stating objectives. So the first year of the Urban Freight Lab we set two goals. One of them was to reduce dwell time and one of them was to reduce failed deliveries. And mm. those are two things that benefit everybody. Failed deliveries are bad for the city and for city residents because it means that a trucker who however it's being delivered has to go two or three times to do the same work right that's not good mm-hmm. for anybody that's just excessive traffic that's excessive co2 pollution that's excessive noise and it's frustrating for customers so everybody agrees that reducing failed deliveries is a good thing the other other objective we set so reducing dwell time again is a win for everybody carriers don't want for it to take longer than necessary to make a delivery neither does the city because a vehicle parked at the curb for twice as long as necessary means their infrastructure is half as productive. If we Mm -hmm. can get everybody out in 10 minutes versus 20, they can serve twice as many vehicles with the same amount of street network. So what we've found is there is ample opportunity, and maybe that's surprising and maybe that's an expectation we would want to correct, but there's ample opportunity for mutual benefit.
0: When you speak of dwell time, it sounds like you are talking about the actual delivery of packages. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think you guys even describe it sometimes as the final 50 feet, (laughs) even more specific than the last mile. But of course, you in Seattle and many other urban environments are right cheek and jowl up against major port operations. And there's dwell Mm -hmm. time issues there with truckers trying to get in and out of marine terminals. Do you Mm -hmm. include that in your dwell time issues? Or are you more like focused on consumer deliveries and things like that?
1: We've been more focused on consumer delivery, and it is different because with consumer delivery, to a large extent, we're focused on areas of the city or communities where people live or people work. That means that you're necessarily mixing people and vehicles, and so your strategies for how to do that, you can't say, well, what we're going to do is separate people and vehicles. It's not possible in that space. Mm-hmm. Ports, that's sometimes, well, to a large extent, that's one of the strategies we've used. We've used you know, land use regulations to say, well, we're going to have port activity happening farther away from where there are lots of people walking and living and working, which isn't always possible. And there's difficult situations on the boundaries, but they're pretty different. And we have chosen to focus on the urban environment. However, I did start out as a port lady and, and I think there is a need and an opportunity. So need for improvement and opportunity for improvement in kind of the port, the drayage space. So I do think that that's something we might turn to or we'd love to see more collaborative environments for the various stakeholders there too. It's another example of something where there isn't a single director of that system, where there are conflicting interests and competing interests and many stakeholders that don't currently have a lot of opportunity to work together. So I do think it's another environment where something like the Urban Freight Lab would be really
0: useful. I'm sure that you don't want to be one of those initiatives that issue report after report that end up just on a shelf somewhere. No. You know, like, well, we did (laughs) that report. Our job (laughs) is done. Yes. Do you truly believe that you can and do influence transportation and urban planning policy?
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I could give you many examples of that, but I'm going to give you a fun one. So okay. I was at a party for my daughter's just finishing high school, and she had her sort of last soccer team party with 18-year-old with all her friends. And someone came up to me at that party and said, wait, are you like Ann Goodchild, like from UW Ann Goodchild? And I said, yeah, that's me. And she worked for a very, very, very large logistics company and retailer. And she said, oh my gosh, I used this work that you did on sustainability of delivery to make the case to my management that we needed to move toward electrification of this sector of vehicles in their fleet. And she said, it was the specific things that you did looking at vehicle type that really allowed me to influence that decision and that outcome. that's really hard to do, right? Like guessing what people need and randomly putting it out there and hoping that someone reads it and that it influences that business operation is a pretty unrealistic plan. So it was really, really, yeah, really satisfying to hear that. I mean, the way Mm -hmm. we try to do it is by, starting that relationship very early on and saying, what do you need? What would be useful? Can we do that for you? And if we did, can we make sure that you understand what the implications are and that we've tailored it to something that you can use? So the sort of guessing and hoping is very common amongst researchers because they don't typically have a lot of long-term relationships. It's very time consuming to do that. And that was to a large extent, the motivation for the lab was, I don't think that I'm going to be that successful if I'm just guessing about a system, that I don't live and breathe every day about knowing what they need. The structure of the lab is designed to avoid that and to really start at the very beginning with the problems that the industry or the, or our partners in cities bring to us. And we can't solve them all. We have a certain set of skills, and so we have to pick the ones that we think that we can make progress with and the ones that we can find funding for. But absolutely, that's something we've been able to do, and I'm yeah, incredibly proud of that, very motivated by that.
0: Anne Goodchild, founder of the Urban Freight Lab, professor and former and probably current port lady as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending time with me to talk about the work of the Urban Freight Lab. I really want to follow up and have more discussions on this going forward. But thanks again so much for your time.
1: Thank you. This kind of opportunity is also one of the ways that we get to be more relevant because hopefully people hear about what we do and connect
0: with us and give us some feedback. That was my conversation with Anne Goodchild of the Urban Freight Lab, talking about the effort to solve freight delivery problems in cities. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel.